Welcome to episode 19 of Lil Muck, a tiny slice of the Muck podcast where we talk to people in the media and politics about their favorite stories or experiences. I'm Tina Jaramillo. And I'm Hillary Doherty. Hillary, tell us about today's guest. So I, I got to tell you, I should have fangirled out before we started recording yes. this, but <laughs> I'm going to do it and I'm going to embarrass these guys. And I really don't care because I am a humongous fan of this podcast and we haven't had podcast hosts on which is kind of no, awesome yeah this is exciting yeah <laughs> so we are interviewing the co-hosts of red tide radio which you can find on um soundcloud uh T tomas kennedy and gerald doherty so for over a decade tomas kennedy has lived as an undocumented immigrant watching his parents overcome their struggles to try and achieve success led thomas to become tomas excuse me to become involved in student activism and immigration reform advocacy he graduated with an international relations major from Florida International University and worked with the Florida Im Immigrant Co Coalition with, with a fellow for the Center for Community Change Action and currently serves as the Florida State Coordinator for United We Dream. And Gerald Doherty is an organizer with the Lower Hudson Valley DSA in New York, which is was he was previously with Miami DSA as an organizer for the DSA, which stands for Democratic Socialists of America. Gerald works to empower working folks by fighting for reforms and affect change through legislative and direct action. Yo, guys, what's up? Thanks for being here. Thanks yo, yo. Us. Happy Saturday. <laughs> well, happy to be here. Yeah, man, listen, uh, you know, again, I can, I can, I'm like, my hands are shaking yes, a little bit. Yes, I, Hillary I, is, so stupid, is but... shaking. <laughs> she is so beyond excited to, to talk with you. So on our last episode that came out, the regular Muck podcast, yes. I went on and on about Red Tide Radio because yes. within the few weeks before the holidays, I had like binge listened to most of their episodes and um was basically out of my mind like yes. my spirit is in this podcast red tide radio <laughs> it's like these guys are doing the fucking work okay yes. they and they're are, calling <laughs> i out, love it they're calling everything out which is at least for amazing. the year that we've had this podcast all we do is trash yes and i don't want to say we're trashing the florida democratic party but we have a lot of criticisms oh, and these lovely so gentlemen many criticisms. <laughs> so many and these guys are really breaking it down but they're talking to um, politicians that are elected, some that have have were just defeated in November 2020, party insiders. It's really exciting to hear all this and to really get into it. So, Tomas, let's start with you. What do you hope to accomplish with this podcast? Yeah, and and yeah, it's like you said. I I don't think we're trying to trash. I mean, we're definitely not trying to trash mm -hmm. like Florida Democratic Party from a perspective of you know, like let's just burn shit to the ground, right? Like right. We, we understand that, you know, unfortunately, we live in a party duopoly. And right now, for the time being, uh, you know, we have to, uh, in our opinion, right, like, uh, use one of these two parties as a vehicle to enact material, like, policy wins for people, right, to make people's lives better. Mm -hmm. And obviously, the side that is better is the Democratic Party right now, right? Not without its faults. Many, many, many faults. Many faults. Completely <laughs> unhinged, right? So, but but we, you know, we've noticed. Uh, you know, I've been an, an immigrant rights organizer for a number of years. I got involved specifically with the party uh, after uh, the 2016 election because uh, I was like, wow, uh, you know, I, how could this guy have won, right? Like, uh, I'm referring to Donald Trump. So, you know, I got involved in my local uh, Democratic P County party. And I just quickly realized that, like, wow, this 
this entity's rotten, right? Like, mm-hmm. and it wasn't just a local county party, it was our state party. It was so uh, messed up. So in the past four years, you know, there, there's been an effort for, for, for grassroots activists, for, for grassroots organizers to, to go inside the Democratic Party, to democratize it with a little d and make it better, right? But unfortunately, we have not gotten to where we need to be in order to, you know, to, to actually win uh, broad, broad uh, electoral power. And, you know, in, the, in, in these past four years, what has become apparent to me is that uh, the Florida Democratic Party, at least, which is the one that I have experience with as a Floridian, acts as a, a bank account for powerful consultants and, frankly, grifters and people that are enriching themselves uh, through, through, through this entity, right? And they're doing so, and they're not even winning elections because we've had a Republican trifecta in this state for 20 years, right? Yes. So that's, I think, what we've been trying to do with the podcast, right? Talk to people that are, that are insiders or have some sort of, like, uh, uh, firsthand knowledge and experience with this entity that are also frustrated and while they might not share all of our same opinions and beliefs, they have a, a shared sense of frustration and a shared value that this party needs to be democratized. Uh, it needs to be more inclusive and that we need to represent, you know, a, a, a broader uh, scope of people if we're going to win. Right. And, and actually do do well uh, by working class Floridians. Oh, that's incredible. So um, I'm a bit of a literary nerd. So the title of your show is Red Tide Radio. And in Florida, we know that the the red tide is that harmful algae blooms that cause the water to turn that, you know, mucky, murky red color. So why this title for the podcast? Yeah, so um, it's for many reasons. I'll say, you know, like like you uh, pointed out, you know, the, the, the red tide is, it's a natural occurrence, right, that happens off of the Florida coast and in our waterways, uh, where basically uh, algae uh, reproduces at a, a rate that is overwhelming, and it creates toxicity in the water, right? But although it is a natural occurrence, here in Florida, it actually has, have got, has gotten a lot worse because of, uh, uh, you know, human uh, factors, right? Because of our, 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 our big sugar industry that dumps uh, massive amounts of fertilizers and, and pollutants into the water that then, you know, uh, helps these, these algae uh, reproduce faster. So I think it's, uh, it's, it's like a metaphor for like the incessant corruption <laughs> in Florida that is so difficult uh, for us to get uh, rid of. Uh, and that's really what the podcast, at least right now, is really trying to shine a light on, right? We're trying to shine a light on, on these, like, corrupt uh, actors. Uh, we started with the Florida Democratic Party and its consultant class, right? This recurring cast of characters that continuously, like I said, uses, use the party as their own bank account while losing elections, and we can't seem to get uh, rid of them. But we're also, you know, shining a light on, on like, Republican corruption, on... Uh, bureaucratic corruption at the local level in South Florida and in other parts of the state. So, I mean, I think that's, that's mostly it. I don't know, Gerald, do you want to add anything? Yeah. I mean, uh, I, th- I think you, you summed it up pretty well. Um, you know, the red tide uh, seems like a natural occurrence, but it's actually uh, at a, you know, it's, it's a symptom of decisions that are, are being made basically. It's not, 
it's not an accident that it's happening. And so wanting to, I, like you said, like, do we go, we're exploring what's wrong right now with the Florida Democratic Party, but I think I would agree that we don't take a tone of like trashing or shock jock or anything like that. Like you hear my voice, it's extremely monotone and boring <laughs> to listen to. And that's basically, you know, I, we're really just like trying to demystify why things are the way they are and how they are is horrible, much like the red tide itself. So, um, yeah, no, I, I think that would just about sum it up. A little bit of, of what on what Gerald said because that that a point about uh, demystification is so important because I remember when I first joined you know the Florida the Florida Democratic Party and the Miami Dade Democrats I my head was spinning right with all of these like bylaws and and Roberts rules and and it's understanding the weighted vote and mm, who gets uh... to actually vote on 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 the Florida Democratic uh, uh, leadership elections I mean it's it's really complicated. It's really niche. And when you join, there's no one that like holds your hand mm. and really tells you how it all works. And beyond knowing how it all works, you know, like it, it really takes a long time to understand the ecosystem of why things are so fucked up. So yeah, like we're, we're trying, it's basically, we're trying to do like a crash course, right. On like, understand the Florida Democratic Party and understand why we're losing. And since Gerald and I definitely don't have all the answers, we're trying to talk to people who we are actually genuinely interested in hearing what they have to say. Well, so, and doing a magnificent job about it. I mean, I can't say it enough. Starting with like, you know, Dwight Bullard, who like, Uh, we've met him several times. He's like such an amazing human being, but He's a no bullshit kind of guy. And he comes on the first episode, like out the gate, like here's where it started. Ugh. Here's why we are where we are. And it was an amazing history lesson of this party and really the state and the racism that's always been here, et cetera, et cetera. So it's very good. So I wanted to know, Gerald, if you could tell us, because you've had amazing guests like Dwight Bullard and also Anna Escamani. She's been on our podcast, uh, Cindy Polo, Stacey Patel. That that episode is so good um, about her run for the D, the the chair uh, in 2018 or, or, or 16. It was so good. Um, but so, Gerald, tell us, what are some common issues that your guests that you hear over and over again of things that are what these problems are or the fail, these common failures that the party has in the state? The broad question. Um, yeah, sorry. In, in, in ter- I'd say there's, there's two things going on. Um, one are the, is the internal dysfunction. One is that it is very clear that there's not a, there's not a direction that the party is trying to move in. Um, the, the internal mechanisms of the party are not working in lockstep because no one knows where it is they're exactly supposed to be going. Um, and that, I think, would speak to the other issue of the party, which is no one really knows what the party stands for. Mm. Um, we, we talked with, uh, what's her name, uh, Annette Tadeo. Um, I told you, like, I'm, I'm a white guy from New York. And I know what the Florida GOP is messaging to Hispanics mm. is. I'm not in the GOP and I'm not a Hispanic, but I know what the messaging is. I couldn't tell you what the Florida Democratic Party's messaging is to Colombians or to Cubans or even to people like myself. I don't know what the point of the party is. And I don't think that the people inside know what the point of the party is either. So they basically made it into a business for themselves. I do think that there's a, a lot of coasting on the strategic position that elect, uh, sorry, that Florida has in the Electoral College, those 29, I think, electoral votes, and the close margins that Florida's elections go in 
there's a sense that I think people within the party can just coast. And if mm. they win, that's great. And if they lose, the national party still needs them. So the stakes for the people at the top within the party infrastructure are very low. So there's not really a direction that they're trying to go in. It, there's not a sense of mission. There's not a sense of a, a vision of what the party is trying to accomplish. I mean, we, we played, a, a, you know, we tried to game out. Like if you, if you gave the Florida Democratic Party um, the kind of control over the state legislature that the Florida GOP has right now, does anyone even know what the agenda would be? Dang. Does anyone even know what, what, what the, uh, the top priorities would be? What like what is the point of this institution? Mm. So I think there's it, it's not there's not just one answer to that question. I would say there's a there's the internal dysfunction, but I think that the dysfunction is is a symptom of a lack of direction, um, a lack of purpose. Um, that that would be at least my my answer. Right, and and we see with the GOP that they have you know the the top three issues that they rally around. Um, and it's clear, distinct messaging. And you're absolutely right. There is no message with the Democratic Party. It's very fractured. And um, I think that that's another reason why it's hard for people to feel connected to the party. Well, I would also say that the GOP ha- does have one thing that they want to happen, and that's to win. Yeah. At any cost. They don't care if they've got to throw their grandmother under the bus. They want to win, and that's what they're going to do. We don't have that kind of attitude. And I don't want to say it's cutthroat, but I think we kind of need a little bit of that. Do you guys agree with that For as, a, as Democrats? Uh, I, yes. I mean, I think if you're, if you're playing the game, you should be playing to win. Um, I'm uh, – what is it? I'm a Knicks fan, so if I can make a sports <laughs> analogy. The, the, Knicks have, the Knicks have been coasting on their reputation as the premier – you know, location to play basketball for, you know, they haven't won a championship since 1972. And I do get that kind of vibe from the Florida Democratic Party uh, as well. They haven't won anything, but they haven't won anything. And they play like they're 10 points ahead when they're 20 points behind. Um, The Knicks of of uh, politics. What is it? We, Yes. Um, I mean, we can tease it a bit. We just did one, uh, an episode, uh, an interview with uh, Representative Carlos Guillermo Smith. Mm. We talked about uh, the sensation of Groundhog Day from the last three cycles where 2016, 2018, and now in 2020, the party suffers a loss or, or performs way under expectations. They announced that they're going to do a fact-finding mission and autopsy, see what went wrong, see what happened figure out how we can get our acts together. And then nothing changes, really. So basically the same strategy from the previous cycle is pursued. The same types of candidates are recruited. Outside of a few key victories, I would say, um, it's basically the same broad strategy. The cycle repeats itself, and you feel like you're living in, like I said, like political groundhog day uh, in the state of Florida, where the stakes are so high. So uh, Tomas high. makes really good points in, e- in each of the episodes. These People's lives are at stake in these elections. People's literal like their lives and their livelihoods are at stake in these elections you know i make a sports metaphor but it matters who wins it does and i mean it goes right into my next question actually for tomas is that what i hear in your voice and in gerald's voice on the podcast is this sense of urgency and i feel it all the time when the work that tina and i do or as as i i'm as as involved in the democratic party here in broward as i possibly can be because i can't stand nonsense and I'm like oh it's nonsense I gotta go like I can't waste my time here I try I try but it's very hard it's very hard the sense of urgency in your voice is that this be all of these failures are going to affect a ton of people in Florida we have a a broken unemployment system uh housing crisis that is on the rise I mean 
So my question for you, Tomas, is like, even if there's a complete overhaul of the party, we elect a new chair, there's a new executive director, like how long until, how many years or election cycles until we actually see real change in Florida? Yeah, I mean, I'll start out by saying, um, and I actually announced my run for DNC members, so it's probably not going to help me. Uh, but <laughs> we saw that. Congratulations. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. But, you know, um, I, I came up, you know, organizing uh, or, or as an organizer, you know, in immigrant rights activism during the Obama era, right? And, um, you know, like, it, it makes you cynical. Like, I, I, I always say that, you know, like, it, cutting your teeth doing immigrant rights organizing, sort of like the... the it helps you develop a sense of cynicism because you're very used to being thrown under the bus by both parties. Right. So I think that's where I developed a lot of like, uh, my critical thinking and outlook, uh, on the American political process. Um, and you know, a lot of like my cynicism, but I, but I also remember, you know, which party, like blatantly would attack me and my family, right? When we were undocumented, I remember coming home and watching, you know, people like Lou Dobbs and Fox News talk about how undocumented immigrants were bringing like diseases and leprosy yeah. across the border, right? And you know, like that's those are the kind of thoughts that like kind of were burned into my memory. And and you know, I remember like the vote counts, right? And while the Dream Act failed because five Democrats didn't vote for it an overwhelming number of Republicans voted against it, right? So it was clear to me that, like, while the Democratic Party was not where we needed to be, like, there was the other side that was just, like, blatantly xenophobic and nativist, right? Mm -hmm. So I made the calculation that, like, okay, well, like, this side seems a lot more reasonable on that we can work with uh, to to enact, you know, like, like I said, policy wins that are going to help people like my family and other families right so you know going back to to your question right like how long would it take um i don't know right because you know we 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 need a good administrator of the florida democratic party first and foremost Mm -hmm. right like we need it's just so horribly mismanaged uh and uh, you know like not only do we not win but like the party's consistently you know like uh, in the red, you know, like right now, like, I don't know if you all saw like the Florida politics article about our federal arm uh, is like, I think up, up, we might be upwards of $350,000 in debt right now. So it's just like so horribly managed. We need a good administrator, but we also need someone that's going to lead with values, right? Like one thing that, you know, people like Rep Eskimani and others have been hitting the party on is the fact that like we had $15 an hour minimum wage on the ballot it passed with 60% of the vote, the Biden campaign endorsed it, and they still lost the state by four points. And that's because our, our, our Florida Democratic Party, you know, the DCCC, like the Biden campaign, they weren't, they weren't like leading with it, right? Because they didn't believe that, frankly, I think, well, it's because corporate interests, you know, didn't want them to. But also I think they honestly didn't believe that like it was a winning issue because they're always afraid to push the envelope. Mm-hmm. And those are disconnect with with working class people, right? Like what's 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 fifteen times forty? Is that six hundred dollars? Like, right? Fifteen times forty, six hundred? Whatever. Point is it fifteen dollars an hour, it's not that much money for a weekly paycheck if you actually right. do the math. Right. And 
chose to disconnect of these people that are like living, you know, like 15 years ago when the $15 an hour campaign was actually proposed and it was a significant wage change that would actually like materially benefit people. Nowadays, it, we need to get to $15 an hour, but it's not that much money anymore. And it really shows the disconnect of like the party leadership and these people that are used to making six-figure salaries that they don't realize how much, how little money that is and, and why people would support that nowadays because average working class people know that it's not a lot of money. They're like begging for it. Right. So, and especially in Florida and South Florida, like you can't pay, you know, uh, a rent uh, on, on something so low. Of course. And then, you know, then you have people like Rick Scott saying like jobs, jobs, jobs. We've created so much jobs. And it's like, no, it's actually just like people that are working three, mm. you know, dead end minimum wage jobs to make ends meet. That's not like a functioning, healthy society. Like that's horrible. But my point is, you know, even if we get to like a fully functioning party, we need also someone that's going to lead with values, with good messaging, you know, that's going to get behind the right campaigns and the right, the right things. And then, you know, it's, it's, it's also, there's also like other, um, you know, like other factors that come at play, right? Like is the Biden campaign going to create the, 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 the uh, a good political climate for the democratic party to be poised, to, to be poised uh, and win the, the midterm elections, right? Like that to an extent, you know, to be fair, beyond the control of the Florida democratic party, right? Like, so there, there's just so many um, factors and things that go into determining uh, the the outcome of of you know what you're asking that it's hard to tell. But you know I think 2022 is going to be a difficult year for Democrats. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, I think DeSantis has you know shut the bed so much that obviously he's vulnerable. But at the same time, you know Trump did win Florida by four points. And, you know, Florida Dems had a down-ballot disaster in a year where DeSantis mishandled everything. So yeah. while there's an opening mm-hmm. to attack him, you know, it, it depends on whether we get our shit together at the state level and whether the Biden administration, you know, does does what they need to do to come into, you know, a, 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 a midterm uh, election season that historically does not favor incumbent, you know, first-term presidents uh, in a strong position. And also, it depends on who the Democrats are going to put up for governor. I've heard several different names, but if it's somebody that the entire state can't get behind, then DeSantis is going to walk right back into this. Yeah, we. we, I just want to say, you know, Red Tide. We we gave the 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 podcast endorsement to Anna Simone. We we oh, I love her. (laughs) Well. You know, uh, Gerald, I wanted to ask because you guys both have been involved with the Democratic Party in Florida on the local level. And it's incredibly frustrating to see these plans, like you're saying, these plans made, these mistakes that constantly uh, keep happening with messaging, Um, poor choices. I feel like sometimes with who we put up, I sometimes feel like in Florida or really across the nation with the Democrats, it's always like, it's my turn rather than you know, and I, I feel like I say this all the time. It's not about whose turn it is. It's about who can win. But sometimes I feel like the Democratic Party gets stuck on, you know, like so-and-so put their dues in, they put their time and it's their turn. And that w- I feel like it ends up being a waste of time. What do you think the fix is for these types of mistakes? If Georgia is instructive, and I think that's the model that people are looking for, um, a, a short-term fix. I'm very skeptical of the notion that we're going to put something like Stacey Abrams 
or someone like in charge of a part the party that seems to see right through uh, trickle down economics does seem to buy into a strategy of trickle down organizing. The um, reality is you need a you need a Stacey Abrams in every county in the state of Florida, mm. and if you don't know who that person is, you have to start thinking about becoming one yourself. Um, or talking among your neighbors about who, who, where, where can we start building out like real, like material people power in our community, um, and how do we coordinate with with other like-minded folks in the state to do the same? Um, the people that we talk to will tell you, like you know, they're the result of the change that gets made. You know, the elections are a snapshot of where things stand. So if if you want to move the needle on election day, it means years of work ahead of the election. Um, I would say to take this time in the short term, I, I completely second Tomas. Uh, I would also add that midterms historically go against the party that holds the presidency. So I, I wouldn't look for the short fix in 2022. I'd try to have a 10-year – basically take a long view that the party hasn't had, which is what is our long-term vision? What is our vision? And, and start building out on the ground around that. Um, if, if we're naming names, uh, it's that, it, it, the default view of the last few years would basically be make Manny Diaz the party chair and Nikki Freed will be the gubernatorial nominee because they're known quantities with relationships to the donor class mm-hmm. and just hope for the best. Right. Why mm-hmm. would you keep doing that? You know, why would you keep doubling down on the same failed strategy? <sighs> Con- to contrast that, Ana Escamani took a purplish district and pushed it very blue. Um, our choice for the uh, party chair, I own Townsend. If you listen to our interview with her, it's very much like a mechanic looking at a broken car and telling you where the parts are broken, what needs to get fixed, and where you might need to like look elsewhere to get it fixed. Like she's very cognizant of the limits of what she's going to be able to do as chair and where it's going to take building up from the ground in those communities in order to get things done. So I'd say, I'd say. I'd, I would say don't look for the short-term fix uh, in, in 2022 or 2024 for that matter. Start thinking about what the, what the 2020s could look like for the people who are on the ground in the Florida Democratic Party. Yeah, and if I can add a little bit to that, because, uh, you know, I, I talk about this a lot because uh, I've been involved in a lot of, you know, statewide organizing spaces in Florida. And there's this tendency uh, to look always for a silver bullet, right? Like whether it's, you know, Puerto Ricans, right? Like it's always like, no, the Puerto Rican vote is going to offset the Cubans. And, you know, like they're, they're, they're going to vote in droves for, you know, Democrats. And no, no, the, they didn't vote for us in, in 16 like we wanted to. But like, remember, Trump threw paper towels at them. So this time they're going to vote for us. And it's oh, like, Amendment oh, 4. Like, Amendment yeah. 4 was a big thing. That was the next one, right? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, like all, all these all these folks with, with prior felony convictions are now, are now uh, going to come back into the system and I'm going to get to vote and they're going to want to punish the census. And it's like, no, like that's actually not how it works because people are complex and people, uh, you know, don't vote or, 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 or vote for the other party or, or face institutional barriers beyond, you know, the, the, the disenfranchisement uh, uh, of, of, you know, uh, based on felony convictions, right? There's, there's so many uh, barriers to, to the ballot box and there's so many uh, forms of voter suppression. So, there's this tendency to look for silver bullets in Florida and there's, there's no silver bullets. Like you, we just have to do deep, deep organizing, right? Like that's how they did it in Georgia. That's how they did it in Arizona after they passed, you know, uh, SB 1070, uh, uh, show me your papers bill 10 years ago. And they organized against Joe Arpaio and all these folks, you know, like it's just too deep, 
deep organizing and doing the work. And Florida is really hard, right? Because it's big. There's a lot of community, extremely diverse. There's a lot of media markets. So it's not an easy state, but like, you know, just looking for like an an organizing shortcut. It's just, it's not going to cut it. So my question, here's, here's a little bit of this, because this is where I get wrapped up in it is I agree with everything that you're saying. It's got to be deep organizing. You both have been in like when, uh, Gerald told the story right after Amendment 4, you all you were going out trying to get knocking on doors and the guy's like, listen, I have to go get it. I have to go work. I have to take care of my family. I don't have time to go vote. He was a returning citizen. And you went back to the party and they were like, no, no, everybody's going to come out and vote. And you're yeah. like, oh, they're not listening. It was just like putting blinders on or something. But here's the thing. Like, let's say you get all these volunteers to come out. Right. And you're organizing them. You're always, I always felt like when I saw in 2018 and then in 2020, it's like even when you're doing all of this groundwork, at the end of the day, the election happens. And I remember both times watching the results roll in and just having this feeling that the party as a state had their boot on our neck the whole time and like we didn't really know it. It's almost as if, yes, you can do all this organizing, but how much of an influence does the party have at the end of the day? Because it's cronyism and like nepotism, like all of those things that are you're, you're fighting against. So is it just pulling more people in and getting more people involved and then pushing out the folks that aren't going to move out of the way? Like, is that what, what, where it works too? Like, is that what we should be doing? So sorry, if, if we do have all these volunteers um, that you're still going up against the state party? Yes, as like a, as like an obstacle. Or I even, mean, yeah, that, that's correct. Or, I mean, I think. Go ahead. Oh no, sorry. Uh, uh, I was going to say even county county sorry. party county party is messy. So it's uh, like even there, it's like on a local level, it's hard to. I found. The thing is that, that there's nothing about turning people out that says it has to be done under the auspices of the Democratic Party. I mean, you like Miami Dade, for example. You take a snapshot. There's a variety of different organizations trying to organize and mobilize people around different issues. I mean, and different interests. Um, so it doesn't necessarily have to be the party machine um, that turns people out. If if you have an interest in the success of the party, you would like for the party to be engaged um, with these communities, at least or at least like work closely with those who are doing so. But no, I, I do think that if we're talking about the state infrastructure if if someone like anana eskamani wins as governor it'll be despite the party machinery as, mm-hmm. as, it, as it exists today it'll be something much closer to obama in 08 or 2012 where the campaign becomes the machine basically it's screw it they don't know what they're doing and we're going to do it ourselves which that's a temporary fix right what happened when obama wasn't president anymore that machine that turnout machine went away you don't want it to be built around a single candidate you don't want it to be built around a single person so uh no to bring it back i I do think that there's nothing that's like i said there's nothing that says it has to be done through the democratic party i myself do my organizing work through the democratic socialists of america but we work with people who are involved in the local democratic party i mean you'll you'll meet a variety of different people that way and try to organize them around the interests in their community like right now we're working very hard on tenant evictions Mm. Um, we didn't know, you know, the, the date, the, sorry, the date for the, uh, moratorium, uh, on evictions keeps getting bumped back, but we're very concerned about what the future for people experiencing like homelessness is going to be. It's like, it, it, we're expecting an absolute wave of homelessness. Um, is this something that the party wants to organize around, around a message of housing justice? Not here anyway. I mean, I haven't seen it, but there are organizations who are interested in doing so. Um, so the party would have to, decide first what, like I said, what its vision is, what the interests of the communities that they advocate for are, 
and then go champion those issues. Um, and if they're not going to do that, then yeah, I'm sorry. They, they're going to be an obstacle to anyone who does try. Right. Yeah. And I just want to add a little bit onto what Gerald said also, because, um, you know, he, he mentions that, you know, any sort of organizing project that's centered around a single person, right? Like, like, or like, um, you know, uh, or, uh, OFA organizing for America or whatever, uh, it runs the risk of being dismantled or, or being, you know, like put on ice or, or being used for the wrong purposes. Right. And that's sort of what happened with the, with the Obama organizing machine, right? He became uh, president and the folks who wanted to use it to push for uh, a public option at the time, not really Medicare for all, but a public option, uh, you know, like faced a Rahm Emanuel and all these like people that were bought out by like, the, you know, like the, the health insurance industry that were like, no, you're not going to do this. And they basically put the whole thing on ice and they mobilized, you know, like the troops. So, you know, like I, I was, uh, I worked for the Bernie campaign. And when I worked at the Bernie campaign, I was tasked uh, with, uh, you know, building along with other colleagues, uh, our, our, our national like distributed organizing program. And we did something called Bernie Victory Captains, which were basically like super volunteers across all 50 states eventually that were hosting voter outreach events, right? And the, the idea was like, like we have people that host phone banks and canvassing and all that stuff. Let's like get the most committed ones. Let's have them, let's push them so they host one per week and let's give them training and resources to do it to the best of their ability, right? And we're going to try to do this at scale. So we're going to do this massively. And we're going to do it through training people virtually and, and, and giving them support. And something that we would always uh, make sure to emphasize to the volunteers that, that it was like, you know, our campaign slogan is not me, us. Like, this isn't about Bernie Sanders. Like, we love Bernie. We wanted Bernie to be president. You know, we support Bernie. We're behind him. But this is so much bigger than Bernie, right? Like, this is about building uh, infrastructure to continue electing good people, to continue building grassroots activists. You know, a lot of the Bernie victory captains that we trained ended up running for, uh, you know, lo local uh, uh, Democratic Party offices. And a lot of them are now county party chairs or state mm. committee people. And, and you know, they're, they're, they're doing the thing, right? So, yeah, I, I think it, it, it's really important to avoid uh, the, the politics of, of personality and the cult of personality. And, and organizing projects need, need to be built around, around ideas and values and not people. And uh, you know, I think that's a misconception that people have about the Bernie movement, that it's like all about Bernie. But actually, like, no, like a lot of our, a lot of people that follow Bernie are extremely independent minded. And when although, you know, a lot we, we all love Bernie. But when when we disagree with Bernie, we disagree with Bernie. Right. Like. <laughs> so, you know, you're talking a lot about messaging and building up the party. What do you think then should be our top issues or if, what, you know, if we had this if rally around the top three issues, what, what should be the messaging for either the Florida Dems or the Democratic Party in general? Like what top three things should be the rallying call uh, for people to get them engaged? I was going to say, I, in my opinion, healthcare would have to be number one. Mm -hmm. um, it's astounding to me that Florida can't define itself. As, sorry, the Florida Democratic Party can't define itself as the healthcare party in the mm -hmm. state. Um, where we talked about this with the, uh, uh, Senator Deo, highly, I had one of the highest rates of Obamacare enrollment in the country. And yet most people didn't know the amount of work that went in uh, on the Democratic side to advocating for 
that program to even exist in their community. Mm. Um, you couple that with the pandemic where a lot of people were bunkered down with their family. Um, healthcare is literally an issue about keeping the bonds of family literally alive. The, to couple that with the, the rates of Medicare enrollment and Medicaid enrollment. I think most people don't realize the percentage of uh, Floridians enrolled in Medicaid is one of the highest in the country. Um, I, I don't know what the other two would be, but if you're not defining yourself as the healthcare party, mm. that you want to make it as much of a right as, as humanly possible. And, and to highlight the work that's already been done um, to make it a reality and the efforts that have gone into destroying that materiality by the Florida GOP. Yeah, I, I, I you might as well pack it in at that point, in, <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, uh, I would agree with what Gerald said, but I'll, I'll also add that, you know, something that we talk a lot about uh, in the podcast, that's something that I actually have been talking about a lot in the past few years, is that not only the party, but also like nonprofit organizations and third party groups, is that the messaging is constructed by political operatives, communication staffers, uh, that, you know, that are, you know, well, well-meaning, well-intentioned, but are frankly disconnected from, in a lot of instances, from the experiences of a working class person, right? Like I work for a nonprofit. I don't make a lot of money, but I make good money, right? Like I used to be undocumented. I worked retail. I worked the service industry. I haven't worked that stuff in a while. Like I don't really, like I try to understand what, the, what you know, what a working class Floridian, you know, in, 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 in min, making minimum wage is going through. I, I haven't had that life in a while. So what I, what I think we should do is that, you know, we should do more focus group testing, more message polling, more research, like really listen to people and see what's making them tick, right? Because we're just crafting messaging based on assumptions and our own biases that might not necessarily, necessarily reflect the day-to-day life of working class people, right? So I think that's really important. I also say going back to the Bernie campaign and the Latino vote, uh, you know, immigration is huge. I work for a national immig- immigrant rights group. Like that's my bread and butter I- issue. Like that's what I went through in life. And I think we should never abandon it. And it should be one of our top uh, tier issues. But we, can, we can't also craft all our messaging around Latinos based on immigration, right? Like healthcare is huge. Mm-hmm. Like Latinos are incredibly disproportionately impacted by lack of healthcare. And we come from uh, governments where, you know, like, I mean, uh, yeah, countries where government-run healthcare is common. You know, in Latin America, there's a public, at least a public option in most of our countries. So it's not something that's, you know, like hard to fathom for most people. Education, especially higher edu- access to higher education is important uh, because, you know, we're a, a, a community that's very sort of like, forward-minded and we really want our children to succeed and have the opportunities that, you know, our immigrant parents didn't. So access to higher education is also important. And again, we come from countries where access to higher education is often free. So it's not hard to, for us to fathom like free university tuition because right. we've lifted. Yeah. And then the environment is actually really um, uh, important. But, you know, I think the environmentalist, envir- envir- environmentalist movement you know, like that sort of fear-based messaging about global warming killing us all, it's, you know, I, I believe it will if we don't do anything about it, but it's not aspirational. It turns people off. It's very abstract for mm. people to really, like, conceptualize that. So talking about, you know, the environment in, 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 in a way that 
transmits, you know, like a sense of community, right? Like we all want to live in healthy, clean communities. We all want our children to live in healthy, clean communities, you know, uh, clean, clean jobs, you know, as a way to stimulate the economy, you know, to bring uh, wealth into, into, into your neighborhood, into your county, into your city. I think that's how we need to start framing things like that. But I think those three plus immigration are, you know, in all the polling that I've seen and in my experience with the Bernie campaign, where we had a lot of success with Latino communities, those are the top four issues. I mean, my God, you guys make it sound so simple and easy. Like, this, <laughs> this should be an easy sell. I don't understand what the problem is. I but um, so my final question is this, like the fact that you posted today that you're going to run for Florida DNC member, like all I'm a natural pessimist, just I'm right out the gate. We're going to lose. We're going to fail. I, no. But okay. I know I get it. I'm the opposite. But <laughs> the fact that you're running tells me you have hope that the change could happen, right? The fact that Gerald, you're still involved and you're trying to make change happen. It tells me that even what I love is that you can criticize and make constructive criticisms of the party, but still believe in the way that the system works. And the only way we're going to change it is if we get involved and we start getting our message in there and, and push and fight a little bit further. So my last question, we have a DNC chair uh, election coming up and, you know, we really have no other choice but to be involved and to make change. Like We have no choice left. We have yeah. to help the people in Florida and do what we can. Do you have hope for the Florida Democratic Party in the future? So, um, I would say I am someone who doesn't believe in either hope or hopelessness. I believe in myself and the people around me and the urgency of the mission that we've dedicated ourselves to. Um, Tomas talked about, you know, after that Trump uh, election, there was that big wave of, of people coming in to get involved. I, that's when I got started. In 2016, when I moved to Florida, I was working at, I moved for a job um, and I was fairly atomized. I didn't know anybody when I moved down to Miami. Um, I was grateful to have friends that were going to med school at the time, but I basically felt like I was glomming on. I was a plus one in my own social circles. I was really, I was lonely. I didn't really know what my life was going to be in Miami. Um, but I knew that when Trump got elected, I, something lit up in me where mm. I was like, whatever I'm doing with my life, the, my, my approach to politics is all wrong. I can't just accept that I'm going to read like Paul Krugman's op-ed section in the New York Times and hope to have an interesting opinion about it, like at a at a social gathering and be thought of as like clever and smart. Because when you saw what could happen with that approach, the stakes are too high. Mm, yeah. The state, like we really are talking. We, I think we saw how fra whatever happened over the last four years, we saw how fragile everything is. So I knew I didn't really know, I had not had a single second of organizing experience. But I knew that anyone who needed help was going to have it from me if they wanted it. Um, so I would say, yes, my, like the level of involvement I have now definitely speaks to I guess I have hope. But I try not to think about it that way. I don't try. Hope and hopelessness are looking to tomorrow either positively or negatively. I would say not to look to tomorrow. Look to today. Look to what you can do today. Look, what, look to the way you're living your life. Try to reorient it around uh something that you can accomplish in your community and take your ego out of the equation. Don't, don't make it about uh, social status or, or um, you know, being well thought of. Um, there's going to be a lot of monotony and disappointment along the way, but we're all in this in, like you said, the hope that one day it'll all be worth it. So I would say abandon hope and abandon hopelessness. Look to yourself and look to your friends 
and look to your neighbors and, and start getting to work. Mm. Oh, so good. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. And I'll, 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 I'll uh, echo everything Gerald said. I'll also say, you know, I'm not an optimist or a pessimist. I guess I'm just like a realist, right? Like mm. I look at Florida and I look at the data and I look at, you know, like the history of the state and the numbers. And I'm like, well, like this is win- like, it's, it's winnable. Like it's, like this isn't insurmountable we have we have the numbers and we have the the right ideas in my opinion but it just requires like a level of work uh and commitment and competence uh that frankly uh and coordination that frankly uh hasn't been there at the at the at the top levels of you know the structures that carry out the work and like I said at the beginning of this interview there's a red team which is the republicans and there's blue team and right now blue team uh, is more aligned with what I believe. But the problem is, is that the people that are in charge of blue team are grifting really hard and not doing the work. Mm. So if you're going to grift really hard and not do the work, you got to go. So that's where we're at right now, right? Beyond, you know, being like discouraged or, you know, like not thinking we're going to win. Like the reality is another thing that we talked about is that this isn't like a game of checkers or chess, right? Like this is, this is like a battle for governance, right? And for the uh, the ability to set the rules uh, that are going to determine our our quality of life uh, and our and our like you know like material well being. So if we lose, it means that you know people who are sick don't get health care, immigrants get deported, right. women lose the right to choose. <sighs> People don't make uh, 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 what they need to make to, to earn a living. Uh, people's conditions uh, uh, at the workplace deteriorate. You know what I mean? More of our taxpayer money goes to like corporations. Basically, everything that's been happening in Florida, right? So failure, it's just not an option. So we just, you know, like, what are we going to do? Surrender to like these fucking corporate assholes and their cronies in Tallahassee and let them you know, like do whatever they want with their taxpayer dollars while they continue to beat up on, on, you know, working people in Florida. Hell no. So no. <laughs> you got to keep going. <laughs> oh my God. Dudes. I Guys, can't. I'm like, it's, this is so beyond incredible and wonderful. <laughs> and I, it, I, I'm like speechless, just in awe of your final comments. I, I, I'm I'm so excited that you Tina had made the suggestion like well they, why don't we have get them on the muck I'm like can we do that can we send them an email and get them on here that'd be awesome um, if you or anybody listening is interested in the DNC chair uh, race that's going to be coming up these guys did interviews with every single candidate and it's really really good and I'm I just appreciate all the work you're doing and really it's like voter education these yes. like the people who should be listening to this are people in the state who really need to see and hear what's going on and become aware of it so that maybe they'll get more involved and, right. and um, help make change yeah. help I mean we need a change desperately yes. and we need people like the hosts of Red Tide uh, Radio to kind of shine a light on these issues yes. and bring awareness to them. Nothing changes in darkness. We need to bring yes. it all to the light. So you can find them at soundcloud.com slash Red Tide Radio and on Twitter and social media. You guys, I'm like a huge fangirl. I'm almost embarrassed. <laughs> I'm so old to be a fangirl, but I am such a fan of you and I'm so excited you were able to join us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank yes, you. For thank your work. you so, so much for coming on today. No, th- thank you for inviting us. And we, we are fanboys. 
Really? Oh, that, I love this. This Yay. is turning into a very delightful end to this, this podcast. Oh, thank you. So have a wonderful weekend, and we will, uh, you know. Thank you. Thanks for the invite. All right. Bye. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thanks. You too. You too. If you want to learn more about this week's guest, please follow the episode notes on our blog at themuckpodcast.fireside.fm and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Muck Podcast. To support The Muck Podcast, please visit our Patreon page. We have three levels of support and different goodies for each level, Muckraker, Policy Wonk, or Bleeding Heart. We can't do it without you. Music for The Muck Podcast, written and performed by Sean Doherty.